Banking today operates in largely the same way as it did during the Renaissance. It's a 600-year-old business model ripe for changes, both large and small. The topic for this week's podcast is innovation and banking, and our guest is Amy Radin, author of The Changemaker's Playbook and former innovation chief at Citi. She's also a judge for BAI's Global Innovation Awards, which are now open for nominations. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. If COVID-19 has shown banks and credit unions anything, it's that they can innovate on the fly when that's what's needed to keep their businesses running. Amy Radin, one of the foremost voices on innovation and financial services, is this week's guest on the Banking Strategies podcast. Amy is founder and principal at The Daily Innovator. She's also former chief innovation officer at Citi and author of an award-winning book on how business leaders can drive meaningful change within their organizations. And if that's not enough, she's on the panel of judges for the BAI Global Innovation Awards, Nominations for our annual awards opened up this month. So, Amy, many thanks for sharing your time and insights with us. Pleasure to be here with you, Terry. Thanks for having me. Your book on innovation, titled The Changemaker's Playbook, is just out in paperback this month. So congratulations on that. Originally published a couple of years ago. So since 2018, what have you realized, what have you learned or perhaps relearned about innovation that you used to make the new edition of the book even more useful than the original? You know, it's interesting. When my publisher came to me and asked me to consider the paperback, I said, well, I have to reread the book and make sure it's still current. You know, I read through it and I was like, wow, there's very little I would change here. I, I shared that with a friend of mine and he said to me, well, Amy, that's because the book is full of innovation truths. So I guess what I've learned and, and relearned over the last two years is my conviction is stronger than ever that listening to customers, being driven by a sense of purpose, and pursuing innovation with a diverse team and strong execution capabilities all fuel success. And I guess the other thing that the last couple of years has reinforced to me is that, look, innovation looks messy compared to business as usual processes, especially those that are pursued in our sector, but it's got a rhythm and a discipline all its own. It's just not linear. It's very iterative, and it's often unpredictable. So the book subtitle is How to Seek, Seed, and Scale Innovation in Any Company. Could you give us an overview of what you mean by each of these action words, seek, seed, and scale, in the context of affecting change within a company? Sure. And today, everybody is in the process of changing and needing to affect change, right? So this is a very important topic. Um, seeking starts with discovering insights that lead you to identify new unmet needs that your customers have, validating your purpose, because purpose and innovation success are very connected, and then making sure that you've got the resourcefulness carry it out because innovation is hard. You're kind of running a gauntlet and you've got to be very resourceful because you'll never have enough of the natural resources that you think you need to get things done. Um, seeding, the second 
phase focuses a lot on prototyping, on collaborating with your with your customers and with others to get the prototype right, not just so that it functionally works, but so that it's starting to lead you down the path of believing that you have a viable business model, something that actually can be executed technically, legally, ethically, from a marketing perspective, et cetera, and then getting to that moment when you're going to seek funding to launch and scale. And then the third phase, scaling, starts with, you know, what does it really mean to launch and how do you avoid the pitfalls that many founders and corporate innovators fall into when they reach that point of launch? And what does it mean to continue to test and experiment and anticipate and adapt? Because really, you're never done, right? Once you launch your successful innovation, you're always going back and starting again, especially in a market like this. So seek and seed make a lot of intuitive sense to me, but does an innovation, does an idea need to be scalable or to achieve scale in the sense that we think about it? in order to be worthwhile? I mean, scale does not need to mean being gigantic, right? We all don't have to go out and get billions of users, right? Like a Facebook or a Google, but it does mean big enough to support the business model assumptions. So big enough to give you the cost structure that you, to justify your cost structure so that you can remain viable, um, generating the revenue to help you achieve something that is sustainable and at a scale that reflects that you're achieving your aspiration. Now, if you want to solve the, a serious problem for a market segment that you're dedicated to serving, how many people or families or businesses in that segment do you want to reach to feel that you have succeeded? So it's a little bit, it's emotional, but it's also what's going to carry your business model. So in your experience, Amy, what are the qualities that make a change maker, that make an innovator? And is this something that can be learned or is it an innate mindset? Are there common traits shared across people who are change makers or innovators? Sure. Well, I think that some of it is mindset. Some is preference. I mean, there are things that we like to do and don't like doing. And what we like doing, we generally are more successful at it. And I think, yeah, some of it can be learned. Some of the traits that I point out over and over again in the book are, you know, openness, collaborative, curious, um, self-awareness, a listener, someone who values diversity, and has a vision and can communicate it in ways that motivate others to want to participate. The innovators are not lone wolves. I think this idea of the lone wolf genius who goes off and, you know, discovers some incredible thing and makes it happen is really a myth. So I really believe that most of us have some of the attributes of a change maker, but will make any of us effective in innovation is the ability to surround ourselves with people who bring the complementary skills and leadership traits. So the team should have the profile of, you know, the change maker persona. But I think it'd be pretty unusual to find all the characteristics in one person. Um, I'd like to meet that person. <laughs> I know I'm not them, you know, because innovation really does, it really does take a village. You say in the prologue to the change makers playbook that it's not just about the idea, but it's also about the follow through as well. But the idea comes first, right? So building on what you were just saying from the innovator, change maker standpoint, how important is the idea generator? 
So that's interesting. You know, very few successful innovations look like what they started as. There's a lot of history on this and many examples of how an idea starts out as one thing, but what comes out of the shoot at the end could be something quite different. So I think the critical starting point are insights about issues, unmet needs that the people you want to serve are having, and then the ability to take those insights and craft them into, right, those initial ideas, which I like to call thought starters, that could represent the beginning of a thought process about potential solutions. So you definitely need those first insights and concept ideas to get the ball rolling, but then how you execute along a very uh, long and sometimes perilous road is where success will be determined. Some people love being at what I call the, you know, the top of the funnel, that starting point. And some people involved in innovation, you know, are all about, let me build this thing and get it out there. So I think you need both. Seek, seed and scale illustrates a sequence. And in order to get to those advanced stages, you have to successfully navigate the early part. So where does the change maker, the change making team tend to get sidetracked or derailed early on in the process? A big early on derailer, and I see this a lot with early stage startups because I do some, I'm involved with some angel groups. So I hear, I've heard hundreds and hundreds of pitches of new ideas. And I'd say a big early on derailer is building the perfect product for yourself and not engaging enough with potential users and listening them to them to understand if you're really solving their problem. You know, people assume sometimes that they know and understand the customer when you really don't. I think that that active listening is a skill that pretty much everybody can work on and get better at and really, really important at the early stage to not end up falling victim to what you want to believe is the answer. The banking industry has been doing things largely the same way since the Medici. Essentially, it's borrowing money from savers at one rate and lending it out at a higher rate, right? So I'd imagine that a 600-year-old plus business model would be ripe for disruptive innovation. Assuming you agree, where would you start? Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, it's definitely an old model. But look at where many of the fintechs have gone, basically trying to create a better experience layer, but essentially one that's latched on to the 600-year-old model of taking deposits and making loans and leveraging the existing regulatory infrastructure. So I'd start by really looking at how people are living their lives and the role of money in their lives. Look at where people are struggling and need help be open to serving new segments. I think the banking industry keeps going back to wanting to serve the same people and approach the innovation challenge as one where they're almost destined to end up as creating incremental solutions. Not that incremental is bad. Incremental can be pretty big and important, but it's really important to decide up front what customer segments you want to serve and understand if you want to if you want to go to segments that you haven't traditionally served. There are definitely trends out there that suggest massive unmet needs, this huge convergence of money and health, at least in the United States, given how much of our wallet healthcare spending is eating up, ballooning student debt, 
which is impeding people from being able to afford homes. There's a lot of issues like these that will impact the banking system and require fresh thinking and a truly customer-focused way of addressing them. So we tend not to move away from the current business model so we don't challenge it. But the needs are there. I think you have to step aside and almost put your headset on a green field to avoid just going back and tweaking what you have. Amy, in financial services now, it seems like we hear the term digital transformation with greater and greater frequency. And by that, I mean pretty much all the time, especially in the context of COVID-19. So to your mind and the way you think about innovation, how much of the change that's commonly classified as digital transformation is truly transformative or innovative? So the definition of innovation that I tend to stick to is creating viable new offerings that meet the real problems of real people. So I see in that context innovation as being either incremental or disruptive. It can be new to a segment, new to an industry sector, new to a geography, and yeah, new to the world. So within this definition, there's quite a bit and how the financial services sector is approaching digital transformation that is innovative. Just don't forget, you know, my focus has been throughout my career heavily on innovating for the customer, especially things like customer experience. There's a lot of good work happening in process innovation, technology, and other areas that affect the customer, but may not be directly customer facing. And if you're in a large scale business, like I was at one of the biggest banks in the world, City. something incremental, when you have a large franchise and a large P&L and balance sheet, it can be transformative. With more reliance on digital banking, whether it's transformative or merely digitizing the existing processes, there's bound to be a growing impact on bank employees. So how are you, as an accomplished change agent, thinking about opportunities for talent innovation? within financial services? It's huge. I mean, I was talking last month to the head of the retail branch network for a, quite a large bank about how they were evolving the employee experience and their whole talent model, because what do you do with your branch network when your branches can't open, for example, but your customers still want branch level service and you have a big talent pool ready and eager to serve those customers, they just happen to be at home. So I think that all sectors now, not just banking, are having to rethink their talent operating model and really innovate how they're going to attract, retain, train, motivate, how a role is going to be structured. I think that no matter what happens in the post-COVID world, hopefully we'll get to the post-COVID world someday, that we're going to have a much more distributed workforce than before 2020. People can have more career options, especially if geography is less restrictive in choosing who you want to work for. So banks are going to have to rethink and innovate the employee experience to remain talent magnets and to set people up to be successful under very different working conditions than existed prior to this year. So sticking with talent and talent magnets for a little bit, BAI is deeply involved in facilitating discussions about diversity, equity, and inclusion in initiatives with banks. In thinking about DEI efforts under the broad heading of innovation, what may be some of the possibilities that quickly come to mind for you? Yeah, well, I am also very passionate about this topic. So glad you're bringing this up. The people we hire shape the culture. 
I'd like to see banks at the front end think more innovatively about their recruiting practices and put more weight on leadership and values, not just technical skills. You know, our values are wired at a fairly young age. And if you bring people into the organization who value diversity and translate that character trait into behavior, you're going to move the culture much more quickly and make it one that's much more accepting to and open of people who are bringing diverse perspectives to the organization. So I really believe that technical or functional skills can be learned often on the job, but we can't rewire a person who doesn't value diversity to suddenly do so. So I think that that would be quite innovative and potentially disruptive for our industry. In your book and earlier in our conversation, you mentioned that one of the hats you wear is that of the angel investor. So without getting into any specifics, what sort of ideas are capturing your attention these days from an investment standpoint? And would it be correct to assume that there's an innovative aspect to them? Yeah. I mean, I like products and services that solve real problems and are real improvements over existing ways of doing things. And I think so much of the success of any innovation is the founder. So I like great teams. I think it's it's one of the first things I look for is who's on the team and what do they got? What's their track record? So a few things I'm working on now, I'm working with a company that has patented remote video capture technology that enables near professional level capture Uh, which you can imagine is amazingly useful now. Um, I'm meeting with a founder next week who's in production with an air quality system that exceeds what HEPA filters do. And you may know HEPA filters have been the gold standard for a long time, but they cannot filter out COVID particles. So to me, this is like a miraculous technology that solves a big problem, seems to be built on a great business model and can save lives. Also, it's the potential to spawn additional inventions. So I'm really excited about things that are practical, that help businesses keep moving, but also really excited about things that contribute in a positive way to society. And certainly an innovative way, too, for, for at least for the two that you just described. So, Amy, one last question. Earlier this month, BAI opened nominations for our Global Innovation Awards, and you have, again, graciously agreed to be a judge for the competition Without compromising your ability to be an honest broker when it comes to the judging and informed by your experience as a judge, what can you tell us about what you're looking for in a competitive entry? So I, first of all, really excited to be continue to be involved with the uh, Global Innovation Awards. I think it's a great program and really important to the sector to recognize the great work going on around the world in the industry in innovation. I get really excited about innovations that are grounded in real market insights, things that look like they can be supported by a viable business model so they can be delivered and happen and live on. And I look for differentiation. So do they represent a meaningful improvement over whatever people are doing today to solve the problem that the innovation is addressing? Hopefully that's common sense and not giving away the uh, not giving away the store. But you know, I think you'll see those kinds of criteria in the application. I don't think you gave away the store, and it never hurts to have those innovation basics reinforced. So Amy Raden innovator, author, angel investor, and competition judge. 
Many thanks again for joining us on the Banking Strategies podcast. Thanks to you too, Terry, and looking forward to uh, the awards. Nominations for the BAI Global Innovation Awards are open. We are looking for entries that push boundaries and at the same time offer value for customers, institutions, and communities. More information is available at our website, BAI.org. A few takeaways from our podcast conversation with Amy Radin. First, what does it mean to be an innovator? It's more than the proverbial light bulb flicking on over someone's head. Yes, the idea is important, but that's only the beginning of what can be a long process with many twists and turns. Amy points to common traits of successful innovators, openness, curiosity, a strong communicator and motivator. It's also a team sport, so the ability to collaborate is key as well. And she sees plenty of room for customer-centered innovation and banking. Focus more attention, she says, where people may be struggling and in need of financial help. This would include addressing the needs of consumer segments that haven't traditionally been served, along with seeking to ease the massive student loan burdens being carried by so many. The intersection of money and healthcare needs is another opportunity. And finally, managing talent is another area ripe for innovation and banking, in large part due to the effects of COVID-19. So much is up in the air now when it comes to branch operations, work from home, and other factors affecting employees. In Amy's view, financial institutions will have to rethink the employee experience in order to attract diverse workforce talent and to position those workers for success in a world significantly altered by COVID. Thank you for listening to this week's BAI Banking Strategies podcast. I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor at BAI. Please join us again for more conversations on key issues facing the financial services industry.